Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week, and I love when this happens, and it doesn't happen very often on this show, but it does get to happen once in a while, is someone who's been a huge influence on me and the direction my career took a few years ago. And she didn't even know that until we talked before the podcast, and that's pretty cool. So I got to drop that bomb on her, and now I get to drop that bomb on her again as I introduce the one and only Abby Connick. Hi, Abby. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to finally get to chat with you. I feel like I've been watching your videos since graphic design became what my company kind of needed me to do. And I started out knowing next to nothing about Adobe Illustrator. Um, I told this story and you'll just get an idea so you know where I'm coming from and why I'm so excited to talk to you. The first time I did packaging design, they sent me die lines for the box. And I was like, okay, cool. I can do this. And I brought them into Photoshop (laughs) and I did the whole thing in Photoshop and it looked so cool. And my boss was so happy because obviously, you know, when you work for people, they're hiring a graphic designer or they're hiring someone to do packaging. So they don't think about the mechanics of what software you use and whatever. So they just see a pretty package and like, that looks great. Good. Send that over. So I send it over to the manufacturer and like a couple hours later, I get an email from them and they're like, what's this? And I'm like, it's, it's, I put the design inside the die lines and they're like, um, yeah. Did you use Photoshop to make this? It's like, yeah, yeah. And they go, yeah, you can't do that. You need to, um, they need to be vectors. And I was like, oh God, that means I, and I'm thinking in my head, like, oh God, that means I have to use Adobe Illustrator. And in, I said, okay, how much time do we have? And he's like, well, we're already behind. So whenever you get it done, we need it. So I told my boss, I'm like, I have to learn a new piece of software to do it. And he goes, all right, well, get to it. I was like, how much time do we have? I just said, how much time do we have? He goes, yesterday. So I had to learn pretty much beyond the very, very basics of Adobe Illustrator in a very short period of time. So what did I do? I turned to YouTube. And I was like, okay, I need to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can. So I did what I could while I was at work. And then when I would get home, I would turn on all these graphic designer channels. And it was you and it was Will Patterson and it was um, Satori and it was Dansky. And it's like all these people who I still watch and still learn from. And now, I mean, people ask me for advice on how to use Adobe Illustrator. It's like, this is awesome. (laughs) So that's that's thanks to you. So because of you, I was able to actually do my job. (laughs) It's literally just reminded me of like the the memes where it's like, can you send me over your logo? And it's a PSD file or like a Word document. A Word document. Yeah. And it's just like a file that cannot be used. Yeah. Or it's or even better, like it's a Word document and it's like 8K. And it's like. Oh God, like, what is that? Then you look and it's a JPEG that's 320 by 320 at 70 DPI. And it's like, oh God, what am I meant to do with this? Well, that's the only logo we have. The secretary made it a couple of years ago. I've been there. Yeah, not fun. (laughs) You must get that. I mean, so you are, before we go too far into the weeds, actually, why don't you, I know I gave you this whole story about how, how much of an influence you've been and how important you've been to where I am in my career. But why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how you got started and stuff like that so people have a fuller picture of who we're actually talking to? Because I feel like I know you really well, but I want to make sure everyone that's listening knows you really well. Sure. So I'm a brand designer and 
I'd say educator, which is something we're going more into at the moment. Um, but it kind of all started, we'll go back. So I, I've always loved graphic design art from school. My two top subjects were fine art and then drama. So I've always kind of like been creative <laughs> at heart. Um, and those were my top performing like results and the lessons that I'd go to and enjoy the most. So that was school. They went, then went to college um, and then I did psychology, graphic design and fine art as my A-levels. And my top performing ones again were the fine art and graphic design and the ones that I just generally enjoyed the most like I got so much out of it and like I'd come home from college and just want to get straight into my sketchbook and just start drawing start designing and actually just like really enjoy that kind of process so I kind of knew that I wanted to go into something creative because that's what I enjoyed so it got to the time where everyone was choosing like what universities they were going to and for me I don't know why I just never wanted to go to university I I don't know what influenced me but I just had in my head that as a creative I think the best possible way to learn is just getting like on job experience mm -hmm. so after college I was so lucky um an apprenticeship came up where I was um a graphic designer so I went for the job got the job which was great and this was kind of a role of doing like poster design um it was like large print format. It was actually for um, this huge pier. So it's like a holiday tourist kind of place where you go on, they've got like rides and all of these fun, fun things. Um, so I learned quite a lot on the job doing that off of someone else. It was this guy. Um, and that lasted for, so the apprenticeship, I didn't actually finish. I actually got hired for um, full time by them after I think the three or four month mark, which was great. Wow. Um, and then that lasted for about nine months. And another job actually came up as a full-time graphic designer. So I, was like, I might as well just go for it. Um, I, sure. I, I didn't have that much confidence still. I didn't, I knew like the basics of graphic design, like poster um, and designing bits and bobs here and there, but I didn't, I still wasn't confident, but I thought, Do you know what, I'll just go for it because you can learn so much more by going to another job so went to another job this was for a big holiday park in the UK so this was people coming to stay in like caravans they'd stay in tents there's like a huge swimming pool amusement park all of the the big things like tourists would go to um and I was lucky enough to get the job which was great um and I worked there for four years as a graphic designer and literally learned every single thing that you could think of about graphic design. So printing, um, designing logos, designing brochures, designing menus, designing large print, working with suppliers, all of these things that you would do as a graphic designer. Um, I was like in an in-house team with three, three or four others um, and just learning off them was incredible because I could just soak absolutely everything in. Um, so yeah, I worked there for four years. Um, and then in 2019, it kind of got a bit stale for me. So mm -hmm. if you're a designer listening, you'll know that when you work for either like an agency or in-house, you've kind of got to stick to strict guidelines. So you've got to follow the rules of the company. Um, you can't just switch up the design and do all these playful colors that I love yep. doing. Um, and it just, it just got to the point where I felt very robotic and that I couldn't improve anymore. I'd soaked up all of this information and knowledge from other people by working on a job, but I just felt so restricted. So I was like, what can I do? 
to just be as creative as possible. Um, so I decided to just start freelancing and doing like illustration work on the side. Um, and that kind of picked up a little bit of interest. But as we know, working a full time job and something on the side is just incredibly hard. It's it's draining, especially as mm -hmm. a creative when your full time job is designing and then you're coming home and designing as well. It's very, very draining. Um, sure. So that didn't really pick up. Now, fast forward to a year, 2020, pandemic happens, COVID hits, we get furloughed. Um, and then I just remember the first two weeks, it was great. I literally did nothing. It was just like, I've been working for the past like six years. Now I have like two weeks of just doing absolutely nothing. And then I hit a point where I was like, okay, we need to do something here because this is just boring. We've got a chance, an opportunity where we actually have loads of time now to put our efforts into this freelancing business. Mm -hmm. um, and then fast forward, we'll go three years to now. Um, I run my own business. I'm a brand designer. I have a YouTube channel. We've built a community of over combined 500,000 followers which is insane um and we've done the brand design we've learned brand design and now we're teaching others how to actually do it and that's where mm -hmm. our story has grown your your evolution from you know just doing like this is how I do stuff to hey these are kind you you kind of started with this is my process then it yeah. moved on to more more formal tutorials yeah. And then I want to say it was around 2021 where you completely changed your video style, like completely just gone was the more informal vloggy style that you were doing, which was, there was nothing yeah. wrong with that, but you went to a much more polished, edited, flashy graphics. I don't want to say more professional because it's almost insulting, but it does kind of feel like you went more pro with what you were putting out on YouTube. Yeah. And it just felt like, I remember you writing a post in your, I'm pretty sure it was in your community tab, but it might've been in one of the comments on one of the newer videos where you asked people what they thought of the new look and the new approach. And there were some people who were like, nah, I don't know, it seems kind of pro. But then there were other people who were like, it's beautiful. Like this is like, yeah. looks super clean, super professional, keep it up. What do you, how did you take the feedback? Like, cause I know that was a big pivot for you and it was a pretty big deal. I mean, yeah. you've, you changed the style of the biggest thing that you were doing at the time. What caused that? And what was the reaction to it after you did it? So the reason why it changed. So I don't know if a lot of people know this because I don't actually talk about it a lot. But my partner is within the business with me. So he does a lot of the things behind the scenes. Um, he's actually a video editor, which is why. That's convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is why everything changed. So 2020, when I started YouTube, it was purely just me. Me. I remember doing some videos on my iPhone. It was just, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. We're just going to try it, test it, see what happens. Um, I was editing. I was creating. I was scripting. I was designing, doing everything on my own. And at the time, I was working with a lot of clients uh, trying to do social media, and it just got really overwhelming. Um, so I remember in, I think it was like the end of 2020, me and my partner sat down. Um, he was working with the NHS at this time. So he had a full-time job as a video editor. And we kind of just said, like, shall we just try it? Like, did you want to 
edit my videos and see how we get on. So he did like three videos and just from that moment, <laughs> I was like, there's no going back. Um, yeah. And he was still learning like how to edit because he's self-taught. So he's a self-taught video editor. Um, and I think the reason why our videos got so good is because he was learning on the job with me as his project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got to a point where he just became so pro where we decided to just like, switch up our content completely and just go for that more pro the more fun the more storytelling element to our videos Mm -hmm. now the feedback that we got this this (laughs) brings back memories because me and my partner used to just have conversations about this all the time because I I was so stuck in my ways because I was the one that had started creating that content and I knew what worked um, and I was kind of a little bit scared of change because I'd obviously seen the comments where people were like, nope, I don't like this new stuff. Right, go back, right. go back to your tutorials, go back to you. I love seeing your whole process where you talk about everything. But the thing with that is like, when you actually look at the behind the scenes analytics, the retention and the drop-offs were really bad. Mm. Um, so we were like, we need to make a change because although it's good and people love it and that's the OGs like there's room for improvement there's room for change and we have to grow with the time so um yeah 2021 was just like a pivotal moment because he came in within the business um and that's where we actually started to see the real growth in YouTube Mm -hmm. and also I'm trying to think if it was 2021 or 2022 would have been last year or 20, I can't remember if it was 20 or what date it was, but we actually took a YouTube course. So we learned a lot about storytelling, retention, your thumbnails, the way that you edit videos. And that also was, I'd say, another pivotal moment of where we started switching a lot of things up with like the editing um, and the content itself. It's very interesting to hear you say that, you know, you recognized that, you know, your your analytics were not the best and it was because you were serving your ogs which when you think about it a lot of people get stuck on the idea this is what people are here to watch this is people are here to see this these are my long-termers i have to make them happy and of course you do right of course you have to take those long-term listeners viewers audience and you have to take what they want into consideration but if you only take those into consideration, you are literally stagnating because you're only going to focus your growth on what the people who have always listened to you like. They already like you. And there's a good chance. And I, the best example of this is um, Evan and Caitlin on YouTube. Evan and Caitlin switched from very strictly step-by-step maker tutorials to more of a personality-driven YouTube channel where they're experimenting and they're telling stories and they're a little more, you know, a little less formal because they wanted to be more of a personality channel and they wanted people to return to the channel because they liked them. And yeah, it upset a lot of the OGs, like you said, who were there just to watch step-by-step tutorials week after week, but they've exploded in growth. Yeah, It's, it's like, it's always a balancing act. You don't want to piss off the people yeah. who are there loyally, but there's a pretty good chance that if you pivot and you don't make a hard turn, it's probably not going to piss off those people anyway. And you're going to start getting the growth that you need. You just have to figure out where the direction of the pivot has to go. Definitely. Yeah. I think with tutorial based videos, anyone can do these. You're not, you're not there 
to enjoy the person or the content that they're creating you're just purely there to learn how to do something and then you'll get off of YouTube and go and go and implement it whereas the thing that we wanted to do was add storytelling and the professional editing in to Mm -hmm. actually get people back because they enjoy our content they're not just there to learn we're we're doing it in uh, it's called like um edutainment so you're Mm -hmm. educating them but you're doing it in a really entertaining way that they just keep watching your videos and they kind of like we get comments that like oh binge watch your videos which is exactly what we want because we're creating content that's got all of these things in it not just tutorial based where someone will just click off of the video Mm-hmm. I even noticed the 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 new Abby in I just finished. So when you came out with your pencil tool course last year, I bought it immediately because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to actually get to do this. But I bought the course right away because I've been watching your channel for so long. I was like, this is an easy way to support what you are doing. I appreciate and, that. Thank you. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was just kind of sitting around. I'm like, you know, I was like, I, I kind of I feel like I'm just rotting away. In a, in a bunch of ways. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do the pencil course. And I started doing it and I'm like, you know, and I even said this, I said this to my fiance who is, because she works from home. So she, at the time she wasn't living here yet. And she was sitting there working and I was, she's like, what are you doing today? I was like, I think I'm going to take a course that I bought a year ago. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and as I was finishing each part of the course, I would go to her. I was like, I learned so much today. Look what I learned. Look at this. Look what I learned. Look what I learned. And I was excited about it, but it was because you could have just made an academic course with click this, click this, do that. But this is what the kind of course I would expect Abby Connick to teach. The way your presentation style, even the worksheets, I, I hate the, <laughs> the worksheets were on brand. You know, they were, it was perfect. And I really enjoyed it. And it was a great course. I had a lot of fun taking it. Um, there's a lot of things in the course where I was like, okay, I'm not going to use the pencil tool this way. But then there was a lot of stuff where I was like, I didn't know you could use the pencil tool this way. And it ended up being like a hell of a week just taking that course and learning from it. (coughs) And (coughs) excuse me. And I've implemented a lot of the things like I've had a couple of since I took the course where it's like, well, how the hell do I fix that? And I'm looking at graphics and I'm looking at Things people send me, it's like, can you make this into a vector file? And I'm looking at it going, oof, how the hell do I make that? I was like, pencil tool. Like, now it's a tool in the arsenal. And I'm thinking like, wow, you really did have a knack for this. And that was your first course. Mm. But you absolutely nailed it. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, and, you know, maybe I don't want to spill any tea on the show, but I'm kind of hoping you have another one in the – I'm kind of hoping you have another one in the works because – that one was so good that yeah. I can only hope that you're doing more of them because like I told you in my first email to you, even though I already knew how to use the tool, I still came away from it with a ton of new knowledge that I didn't have when I started. Honestly, that is just music to my ears. That's something that we strive ourselves on is I feel like the course industry, especially for graphic design, the editing and the way that the course is structured is so bad. It's a slideshow, a keynote presentation. Like I've taken multiple courses that I haven't finished purely based on the fact that I got so bored 
from the presenter and the way that they were giving me information that I just didn't want to do it. I wasn't enjoying it. I want the courses that I take to be fun. And Mm -hmm. when we took the YouTube course that we did, that sparked something in us that we knew like, this is how we want our course to be because this guy was a YouTuber. He knew exactly how the course curriculum and how his videos should be done. Um, And we took so much inspiration from that to actually create our own and make it engaging and make sure that people are actually learning, but also implementing it at the same time. So that's just music to my ears that that's what you, you gained from taking the course. Yeah. And by the way, this was unprompted. We didn't discuss what I learned before. So Abby could give me talking (laughs) points. This is actually like, this was my stone cold feedback. And if actually, actually, when I wrote the feedback for the course, after I finished it, that was the feedback I wrote because I was so surprised at how much I learned because I've done, I had Skillshare for a couple of years. Um, I've done individual courses that people are selling. I've done all the courses. And uh, like you said, most of them are terrible. Like they are people that have a lot of knowledge. And this is something where I think you've gotten, you were good at to start, but you've gotten particularly good at now There's something to be said for people who can present a course to people and make the material work and also can present to camera because presenting to camera is not talking into a window like a robot mechanically. It's, it's, there's, it's hard. It takes practice. It takes, you know, repetition. It takes sucking when you first start, you know, you just have to keep doing it. So yeah, yeah, I I totally agree wants to see my first ever YouTube video, go to my channel because it's so cringy, but it will show you, (laughs) if you go from my first video to one of our latest videos, it will show you the improvements and the confidence that has gained over the last three years. And Mm -hmm. for me, I honestly, I used to look at people and just think, how the hell do you speak to camera? Like there was this guy guy I used to follow. This This was like five years ago and he was just like a friend that I knew and he used to just do like talking stories all of the time on Mm -hmm. his Instagram. And I used to just think in my head, like, how are you doing that? How do you have the confidence (laughs) to do that? It's insane. Like I just, I find it so weird that people would be able to talk to the camera and then I'm sat here now, like I can do that. And it it does, it takes, it takes a lot of practice and patience and doing it consistently, but it's such a valuable skill to have because you could take it in so many directions by actually just talking to the camera. So now that the business and the YouTube channel have kind of, you know, merged into one ball of your, your basically your brand, how are you finding balancing content creation versus doing client work? Because I'm pretty sure that's a tough balancing act because I know how long from experience, I know how long client work can take. And I'm kind of wondering how are you finding the experience? Are you, are you bumping into stuff where you do stuff for a client and you're like, that'll make a good YouTube video. And then you kind of make a note and then later on you go back and apply it and make a YouTube video of like, how are you finding that process? Like that constant juggling act of client work, YouTube channel and how to keep both of them up in the air at the same time. So something that we do is each year we set priorities. So for example, 2020, my priority that year was attracting and getting as many clients as possible to gain experience. Mm -hmm. 2021 priority was YouTube channel. So I took on a little bit less clients and prioritized YouTube to really focus on that to attract a larger audience. 2022 was 
where are we now 2023 so 2022 was the pencil tool course so that was the priority of actually building something our first ever course um and so we took on even less clients in that year and then 2023 we've actually been working on um our second course which has taken i I don't even want to say it's like nine (laughs) months we're in now um but the main thing that i recommend anyone to do is to set your priorities because there's so many people I know that are juggling so many things and they feel so overwhelmed and so burnt out because of this. But when you actually just focus on one priority, it's so much easier to manage. So that means something has to give. So for example, our YouTube channel isn't our priority this year. Our co- mm-hmm. Building our course is. So the YouTube channel took, is, has taken a back seat right now. And that's okay because we know 2024, once our course is built, YouTube will be the priority again. So I think it's about learning to actually prioritize as a business owner and running running your business because otherwise you'll really struggle. Because I, I remember 2019 and 2020 when I was trying to do everything, it was it was really hard. I love that you have pivoted to not just how to do the mechanics of design, but also while you're doing it, I see all the time, particularly from you, especially on your Instagram, your Instagram account's fantastic, but I see on your Instagram account, business advice, business advice, business. It's a lot of business advice on a regular basis. Um, I think that's the one thing that especially makers, I heard uh, one of my, one of my listeners, her name is Christy Steinman. She's a tax, she's a tax, um, accountant. And she says, you know, it's the one thing that artists do poorly is deal with their taxes and deal with their money and deal with their finances. And I'm thinking like, there's a lot of things artists do poorly. Like when it comes to business, like, you know, I know a lot of makers that I've, that have asked me for advice on logistics because I'm pretty good with like shipping logistics, all that stuff. So I know that stuff pretty cold and like, I can almost calculate rates in my head when somebody asks me what something costs to ship it from here to here. I kind of know them a little bit. So I kind of have become the go-to in my friend circle of, hey, what should I use to ship this? How much is this going to cost to ship? What would you do? And it's all the business and the nitty gritty stuff that creatives go, okay, I got the creative part down. And yes, you do. Great. You're an amazing creator. Now what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have done a really good job as you've pivoted towards education of not just educating on the mechanics of graphic design, but also on the mechanics of running a business as a graphic designer, like what to charge? Why aren't you getting those high value clients? You know, why is this, what happens when a client isn't paying you? Like, wow, like that's, that's wow. People don't even think about that as they get started. It's like, oh cool, I can make money doing this. Now what? (laughs) I think, I think a lot of designers, especially when they're just starting out, think that the, main thing that they need to get better at or they need to do is just design like designing is just one small piece of the puzzle and Mm -hmm. a skill like that I probably say like 60% of actually freelancing and running your own business comes from actually learning how to sell how to market your business all of like the business side of stuff instead of just designing because what use is it if you can design but you mm-hmm. can't attract clients. You can't work with people. You can't work on these projects. It's not like it doesn't make sense. 
My my business mentor actually has it. My business mentor, when I was first getting started with my side my side hustle, which is now my hustle, um, he actually <laughs> said, and it stuck with me really, really hard. And he said, you have to remember, and he said this to you know a bunch of us. He said that the one thing you have to remember is whatever business you're in, you're in the business of marketing and sales. That that everything else is secondary. Even the product is secondary to marketing and sales because you could have the greatest product in the world. And if you don't know who your customer is or your customer isn't finding it, you will never sell it. Yeah. And it's like, wow. It's That's so like tr- it's sobering. Yeah. <laughs> it is. A lot of it, like the sales side of it, it can be tricky I find as a creative because there's a lot of, I'd say like introverted people as creatives. Like I'm one of them. I struggle (laughs) like at the start, like jumping on a call with a client was awful. Like I Mm -hmm. hated it. Um, And actually like learning to sell is such a valuable skill that you just need to learn Mm -hmm. as a business owner instead of just designing because like you could be the best designer on earth, but if you can't sell and you can't market your business to put it in front of new audiences, your business is most likely going to fail. I love, I love that you, I love that you said you're an introvert because I talk about this all the time. You know, you look at people like you're super outgoing on camera. You're super comfortable in front of the camera. You're pretty comfortable right now. I'm assuming unless you're covering it up really well, (laughs) but it's it's always funny to me, and I f- I'm the same, by the way. I always call yeah. myself an overcompensating introvert. Like, I am yeah. super introverted and painfully shy, so I just make a conscious effort to not be that. Yeah. And it sucks, and it's draining, and usually after a social interaction with someone I've not had one with, I am utterly wiped out. I'm exhausted yeah. because I, being on is I'm okay with it, but it's also a conscious effort for me to do. So hearing you say it, it's like, oh, kindred spirits. I love this. <laughs> but it's I, so funny that it's a common thing with especially people on YouTube and even to an, a second degree, people who are creative, people who are creative and who tend to work in relative isolation tend to be very introverted people and you're happy working on your own. Yeah. But yeah, those interactions with, you know, outsiders it just it's awful <laughs> most of the time it's hard I think it's something like I don't like to put myself in like a box of like oh you're an introvert because I have extrovert what they call like mannerisms I have I, I'm a mix between the two but like you said I'm very similar to you after a, a big interaction I feel like I could go and nap or like I just need to wind down for a little <laughs> bit to just chill on my own I need yeah to be on my own um but I think the thing with that is if you know you're an introverted person, it's mm-hmm. just not, not put yourself in that box or label yourself as it. Because I've done it for many years where I've labeled myself as something and then subconsciously I, I become that. I am that person. Like I, I don't want to be, but I am because I'm labeling. Oh, I'm all, I've always been like this. But you can change it. Like mm-hmm. I said um a few moments ago with talking on camera I used to label myself as someone who could never ever speak to the camera but I did it I I'm here I have a YouTube channel I speak on my Instagram stories on the daily it's Mm -hmm. something that can be learned it's something that you can actually do if you really want to put your heart and soul into it you can do it I feel like a lot of introversion and for me I can speak for myself and I don't know maybe you'll agree maybe you won't but 
I feel like a lot of the introversion that I always had was a combination of fear and imposter syndrome, where it's like, I have no right to be talking about this because I'm not an expert and I don't know everything. And what I've found over the years and, you know, doing this podcast, you know, even when I had a co-host, it was still kind of my show. And what I've found is that the best way to get over that fear and the imposter syndrome that you don't belong is to prepare and be ready for it. And know that's why I always talk, I always talk on this show in particular, my mechanism for that is I won't have anyone on this show that I don't really know their work. Not because I don't, not because I'm being insular or because I want it to be a circle of just the people I know or get a chance to talk to people I would never have a chance to talk to otherwise. But because when I have somebody like Abby Connick on the show, who I've been following on YouTube for years, I know your work. Like I know your work. I know your timelines pretty good. I mean, I may be a little bit off, but I knew it was 2021 when you started changing up your videos. And I, I'm not looking at the screen when I did that, you know, and it's, it's because I know your stuff and that gives me the ability to kind of get on and talk to you about your work because I know your work. But if I was to have, you know, somebody else who, yeah, they may do amazing work, but I don't know their stuff. It's going to be like, oh, this is an awkward thing because I don't take notes. I don't write questions down. I don't do any of that. I just have a conversation with the people I have on. I need to know what you do. Otherwise this show falls on its face. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I I'm exactly the same I love to prepare for things Mm -hmm. so for example this podcast I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people would be scared to ask for the questions because they'd be like oh what if they think that I'm this person or like they can't come up with their own answers but no I'd rather be prepared with Mm -hmm. my answers so that I can give value to the audience and know that I'm not gonna um, say something that's stupid or say something that just doesn't make sense. I'd rather be fully prepared and know what I'm doing. Sure. And I feel like a lot of people are maybe a bit scared of being too prepared or just like not asking the questions where just do it because yeah, of course be prepared. I, I didn't think, honestly, I was, I didn't think any less of you for asking, you know, what kind of questions I would ask. Cause it's like, Oh no, I, I get it because you know, you're going on a podcast and it's going to be like a one hour conversation. What the hell are we going to talk about for an hour? You know, could, should I come in and talk about my favorite plant? You know, like <laughs> maybe we could do that. We could probably do that for an hour, but you know, so I didn't even think it was weird, but it's funny because it actually made me think a little bit. It's like, well, what are you going to talk to Abby about? You know? And it's like, I kind of knew, but yeah. it was like, Oh, I should write these down so that she can be ready for it. And I think you are the first person that's ever asked. Usually I just tell people, don't worry about it. I'll steer the conversation. It's not going to be anything crazy. I'm not bringing in anything out of left field. But I think you're the first person who I got on the show and asked. And I was like, all right, I'm going to literally do this. Like, I'm going to kind of just give an outline. And if you, when you saw the questions, I'm sure you thought the same. It's like, oh, okay, these are the kinds of questions I we can just, we can just kind of do. Yeah. yeah. This, this reminds me. So when I first started YouTube, I never used to script my videos. So I would Mm -hmm. just kind of wing it. I'd have like a topic that I'd speak about, but everything was, I was just riffing. And that's probably where you can see the difference in the levels of my YouTube videos from the start to where we are now. Mm -hmm. The main thing that we changed is that we script our entire videos and that can take weeks to actually do, but it's the preparation and actually planning that make, takes our video from a three to a nine. Like it's that 
in between bit where you're actually planning and scripting and doing all of these things that I think makes such a difference and it's not something I knew YouTubers did until I actually took that course that I mentioned but so many people that you wouldn't even think script script Mm -hmm. a video I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of amazed at how clean your videos are because I've done on my own channel a couple of short tutorials with screen recordings. Yeah. And I always I always joke it's like I know every single keyboard shortcut that I ever need to use. I know every mouse. I know where everything is on the menu right up until the point where I have to record it. And then all of a sudden I can't remember a damn thing. I don't know where any menu items are. I can't remember a keyboard shortcut to save my life. Because a lot of it is muscle memory. You're not doing it consciously. And I'm always amazed that your videos, not just in your, you know, there's no ums and uhs in your in your videos because, well, you're scripting them and you yeah. just do them until you get them right. And I respect that tremendously. But your screen recordings are yeah. immaculate. And it's I'm, I get so jealous of people who do that because I can't do it for nothing. Like, I take when I do any kind of tutorial or I make a training video, there's a lot of training videos I made in my prior job. Um, It was a lot of, all right, this is the best version of this and it's good enough for purpose. But how many times do you have to record your tutorials over and over again? And how long did it take you, you know, from concept to launch for the pencil tool course? Because there's a lot of screen recordings in that. So, I think the thing that helped was just doing the YouTube videos at the start where the editing wasn't at a great standard and I'd kind of just press record and just go. I think I feel like that whole year of doing that and practicing with the screen recordings really helped actually mm-hmm. get better at knowing what to show and actually like showing the keyboards and everything else. Um, but the pencil tool course, I'm trying to think because that was last year um I probably a few of them it did take a couple of takes because it can be hard especially when there's things that you've got to say in the right way that's not confusing because that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to make sure that we didn't do was to confuse people um right. sometimes we do it where the screen recordings would be live and like when I was going through each of the um worksheets that was just completely live and you saw me doing that in real time but there'll be other times where it's not live and it's me kind of either talking over it or it's pre-recorded so I can then script and know exactly what to say because otherwise it's so hard sometimes trying to design and also trying to talk and actually provide exactly <laughs> so I think it's about finding a mix and practicing um and if you're not great at doing the screen recording whilst talking you can do the screen recording and then script it and then talk mm-hmm. over it which is fine I love and I love because, you know, obviously talking about the pencil tool, you have a tool that generally behaves unpredictably, even (laughs) even at its best. It doesn't do what you want it to do every time you use it. So I I loved some spots in the video like, wow, that was a really good first attempt. I think we're just going to go with that one because it's probably not going to get better than that. (laughs) It's like, yep, pretty much. (laughs) It's a a fiddly tool, but um, Mm -hmm. it's crazy how versatile that tool is. And it's People don't know it's my favorite tool out there. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> it's literally her favorite tool. Like in every video, every video, because a lot of the branding stuff you do is you start with typography of some kind, you know, usually an off the shelf font from somewhere. 
and you customize. And this was something, by the way, that I learned watching you more than anyone else was, you know, like obviously I watch Will Patterson and Will Patterson is a type designer and Will Patterson's a very different kind of designer than I'll ever be. I'm never going to hand do type the way he does. That's that's a crazy person job. And I love watching him do it. And that's exactly what I'm going to continue to do. Watch him do it. But when you started showing the customizing of type in Illustrator, that was kind of like a change for me. I was like, oh, yeah, because I've always looked like, you know, I used to look for fonts that had a lot of glyphs and stuff that I could just kind of attach to a font and change. But now it's got me like, oh, no, I would just change that the way I wanted to, like turn it into outlines, use the pencil tool, use the pen tool, you know, move this around, shift that around. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you have exactly what you were looking for. You you use you use the basic fonts as building blocks. And that's something that someone who's inexperienced doesn't really think to do. It's like, oh, this is the font. This is how it's going to look. Yeah. And I think if you do just use a font. I mean, it's great if you're um, really great at creating like logo marks or mascot design and you're customizing, you know, the logo in another way where you're creating a really nice mark, then yes, the logo type doesn't really need to be adjusted because the main focus is going to be on the actual mark itself. Mm. If your focus is on logo type design, which is mine and I absolutely adore it, then using just a font um, and not customizing it is probably not going to be great for your client because let's be honest anyone can go and choose that font anyone can type Mm -hmm. it out anyone can say yep this is my business logo but you're going to look the same as everyone else which is why I love to just customize and make it really unique to the business and the industry that it's in and just make it one of a kind that you're not going to find anywhere else and even saying that even saying that like you have a you have a very I don't want to say specific but you do have a genuine kind of style that your stuff takes you have a very not swoopy but organic curvy the color palette like if you sent if you sent me right now six color palettes and says which one of these is an abiconic color palette i'd be like that one like you can pick (laughs) out your color like there was one fade there was a couple of videos in a row where you used the orange and blue together and i was like Oh, it's an Abbey video. Definitely an Abbey video. Now there's the orange and blue. Like I used to like when you would put the fonts up on the screen yeah. and I would pause the video and I'd go, okay, which font would I pick? That one. Which font is she going to pick? That one. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's the font Abby picked. And then it would be nothing like that by the end, which was also really cool. I always enjoyed, I always enjoyed those videos because your, your elimination process and you didn't just go, I don't want to use this. I don't want to use this. You, your explanations kind of taught people like me how to think about it rather than I just like this or I don't like this. Like why do you taught the why to like this? Why not to like this? And I really, really have a tremendous deal of respect for you for doing that because it's not just, this doesn't look right. Right. Yeah. That that's easy. Anyone can say that. And it's, it's true. But that's not the answer. The answer is why doesn't it look right? And you always, when you start with your briefs, you always tie what you're doing into those briefs and explain to people the color palette, why it works with the brief, the shape of the typography after you customize it, why it works with the brief, the font you pick to start with, why it works with the brief. And it's just, I, I just, I've so much of that has come from you beyond the other people I watch. It's just like, 
oh my god it's like she's teaching another thing you know <laughs> i think this is such an important conversation as well because another skill to learn as a designer is the way that you explain your design decisions because mm. when i started my journey in brand design and i worked with my first few clients i had no systems no processes nothing in place i would literally send a screenshot of the logo over and say here's the design concept what do you think um fast forward to now we have a whole process in place where we present the brand design the concept to the client but we also go into real depth and detail about the design decisions that were made why were they made what impact does it have how does it fit in with the industry what difference does it have to the competitors how is it going to work with your target audience all of these things need to be explained in your design decisions so that your client can really understand why these choices were made and in, mm -hmm. in by doing that you're more likely to get the project signed off by a client because they're like oh yeah like I get why she did that she did that because of this that makes total sense whereas if you were just to send the design over with no explanations your client's gonna be thinking well I don't like the look of that but there's no explanation mm. of why you did that. So it's really right. important as designers to make sure you're just explaining every single detail and why you picked that certain color palette. What does it mean? Why does it fit in with them? Why is the client going to like this? There's all of these things that, that you need to explain because art and design is so subjective. Everyone has their own opinions of what they like and what they don't. But when you actually bring the strategy and the um, explanation of it, that's when it really works and can help the client. I I, I always wonder this because you work with you work with large brands, small brands. You're 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 a freelancer, so you have a whole client portfolio that you've worked with over the years. And I always wonder this because I'll just tell you what happens with me, and I'm just wondering if I'm doing this wrong. And mm -hmm. you can give me some professional advice because yeah. you know captive audience. Um, when I do a design for a client, I tend to check in with the client a lot during the designing process. But I've seen and I know a couple of other graphic designers that it's like, nope, I take the brief. I make sure I ask whatever I feel like I need to know. And I don't talk to them again until it's done. And if I need to make revisions, I make revisions. But I always find that making those revisions at the end are harder. I'd almost rather check in during the process. But I'm also worried that that makes me look unprofessional, like I'm unorganized or like I wasn't organized enough up front to ask the right questions. So I'm just wondering, what's your process look like and how would how do you handle it? Like, do you basically not have any communication until the first presentation or is it, you know, do you check in along the way and ask questions and get more detail from clients? So first thing I'm going to say is that there is no right or no wrong answer when it comes to your design process something that works for one designer isn't going to work for another because your processes are going to be completely different whether that's you sketch things out or you do things digitally um, mm -hmm. and whether you talk to your clients or not that's completely up to you but the thing that i would say um is figuring out your own process and nailing that is so damn important and it's something that I've learned over the three years as one of the most important things when it actually comes to working with clients so my process I'll go through it just if anyone's interested sure, sure. um so the client will inquire and reach out I'll pop on a discovery call with them um which is like a sales call where we kind of go through their project goals um 
what they want to get out of this project, the deliverables, what they're looking for, and then talk about the pricing. Um, after this, I'll send a proposal over just outlining the deliverables and the scope of the project um, and getting them to sign that off and agree to the project. This then goes on to the onboarding phase. So they'll um, sign up. So I use Notion to onboard them, um, which I've got like this client portal, which basically just has every single thing um, about the project. It's like a project hub where you've got your contract, your invoices, the presentation uploads, all of the nitty gritty stuff that the client can find. And I find that that's a really important thing because when I first started designing and kind of working on my process, I just found doing everything over emails was just very overwhelming for the client. And I'd always lose track of the project and where things were at. And I'd have to go back to like finding all of those emails. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we use, I use that. Um, and then I actually have a strategy call with them. That's the first thing that we do. So this helps guide the next stage, which is like the creative direction and actually figuring out the style. Um, so this is where I ask all of those important questions about their business, their audience, their competitors, understanding their mission, like what uh, their products are and what they like the, the the design direction and where they kind of want to go um then from this this is where i'll for about a week um go behind the scenes i'll do research into their industry come up with this like brand strategy where it goes really deep into like their audience and competitors um and also figure out their creative direction now, this is where i probably spend the majority of my time compared to actually designing because it's so important so this is where you figure out the design style that's going to influence when you actually design that brand. And getting this signed off by the client is so important because they understand the direction that their visuals are heading in. Mm -hmm. So this presentation gets sent over to the client, they'll review it. Um, if there's any changes or they want to talk about stuff, we'll, we'll just jump on a call and we'll talk through it. Um, and they'll choose like a mood board that they want to go for. Then from this, you now have that guide to actually start designing. Um, so then they've signed that off. So I know exactly what the visual direction is and what fonts and things that I've got to use. I'll then go ahead and work on this for probably around two weeks where I'm solely just working on the design concept. Now, a lot of designers I know do like three concepts. They'll send five concepts. I have managed to whittle it down to just sending one concept. So in this design stage, I don't send over any sketches, any anything for them to review, because in my opinion, clients are coming to you for a solution. They don't want to be picking or trying to make the decision because it, quite honestly, they probably don't know themselves, which is why they're hiring you as the designer. They don't want to be part of the process. They want they want, you to handle the yes, process. Okay, exactly that. And that's that's my personal process and I know other people probably might do things differently which is absolutely mm -hmm. fine I just personally prefer that I'm taking it off their shoulders I'm doing the work I'm figuring out the design concept and I'm actually choosing the one and the one solution I know is going to work for their brand because that's what they're paying me for so once I've done my design concepts um i've whittled it down i've figured out okay this is the one that's going to work i'll then put this into a whole big presentation and actually show all of it in action uh this will get sent across to the client for feedback we'll jump on a call if we need to um if like, there's any changes or they 
they don't like anything or whatever, we'll jump on the call and just talk through that. Um, and the majority of the time, because we spent a lot of time in that strategy and creative direction stage, figuring out that design style, uh, majority of the time there's only little changes because they already know what they're going to get. Um, and then from that, uh, hopefully the project gets signed off, maybe a few revisions later. Um, and then, yeah, we go to offboarding where we offboard the client and then their files. And that's pretty much the process. I I think that's I think it's really good that you outlined it because I think there's a lot of gaps in that for a lot of people where it's like okay you know I have the client where do I start where do I start I think I I, I and I've lear- just learned this because it just kind of fits but it it's surprising how many people don't do this but have a twenty minute half hour initial call with the client. Not an email chain, not a chat, like an actual conversation. What are you looking for? Yeah. You know, let's get this, let's get this outline because I think one of the reasons you're able to give one option at the end and just do revisions to it rather than, you know, five options, pick one and then do revisions. Yeah. I think one of the reasons you're able to do that is because you're so good at establishing guardrails from the beginning and you put up so many guardrails that establish pretty rigid standards for what you're going to design that you don't have to think too hard about the what you just have to think of how you're going to implement all the things that you've already established as the guidelines for the project. I kind of like that way of work. Cause that's the way I like to work too. I like to know, you know, when somebody tells me it's, I have creative license, I know they're being nice because they appreciate and they, they respect my work and they've seen my work and they're happy with my work, but man, it's a freaking nightmare. It's like, no, give me something, anything, you know, I've gotten, I did, I redid the website for my fiance's radio station and the woman I was working with at her radio station, who isn't a graphic designer, isn't a professional designer, is just really into it, like likes the art form itself. When, when I started working with her, she sent me over and I swear to you, I was almost emotional. I was so happy. She sent me six different formats of the logo, yep. right? Good she shot. sent me five color swatches with hex codes underneath. Brilliant. She sent me a list of all the fonts and links to download them. It was like, it was like, my God, I wish every client was like you. You're a dream come true. This is exactly the kind of work that I want to take. And because she gave me so much to start with, I had their website done in two days yeah. because I didn't have to think like what color goes here? What color would this work? What would this, would this look good? Does this look yeah. good? I didn't have to, and anything I ever asked her for was in my hands in like five minutes. Like she never made me wait for anything. I never had, to, we never had to figure it out or I'll get back to you. We just didn't have it. And I'm like, oh my God, could every client, and that was pro bono work. And I was like, damn it. Why can't my paid clients be like you? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a dream client. Oh my God. So you must've had a few, I mean, obviously dream clients are nice. We all have, we all love our dream clients. We have our people that we work with that are wonderful and we want to give them big hugs and send them free Starbucks gift cards and all that. But you must've had, I mean, you've been doing this long enough. You must've had some real banger nightmare clients like I, you must've had it. I mean, I know you probably are very selective in who you choose to work with. So that probably whittles down a lot of it, but have you had any where it's like, Oh God, is this, this is the worst. And like, and have you, you know, just 
finished a job around like we're just not going to be able to work together and punched out like what is what's your bad client situation been like because that's always entertaining and people love stories <laughs> like that <laughs> i say i haven't had a real horror story all i would say is that first year in 2020 i had no boundaries no contract nothing in place and a lot of people took advantage of that like clients mm. st stealing my work and not paying um using it um i've had Oof. so i i used to do things through my instagram dm so that's how i used to actually just contact people it was never over email and it was the worst thing i can remember going back and forth trying to figure out revisions and I yeah I I don't recommend doing things through messenger it's not great I mean I haven't I've had to I've had a client I think this was in 2021 where they signed off the creative direction so like the mood boards um and they were they were like yes we love this style this is great um I then went and did the full design sent them the concept and then they just hated the direction um, and I'm pretty sure I, I can't remember if I had a contract then. Um, I think it was a very basic one, which didn't really cover me much. So it just turned out that I had to do like five different revisions and Oof. pretty much just not get paid for it. Um, a lot of time and energy went into it. And I think the project just kind of fizzled out. They weren't like satisfied. And I'm pretty sure I didn't invoice the remaining bit because I wanted them to leave with like a a better taste in their mouth rather than it being like a sour taste and absolutely hating right. me um right. so I kind of just had to bite my tongue and just you know <laughs> just be like it's one of those projects I'm I'm going I'm bound to to go through something like this so um but other than that the clients that I work with have been pretty awesome like you said I'm pretty selective with the clients that come to me um and if I know I can just sense like I from an inquiry and that initial call I can sense like the person and their business just like mm -hmm. knowing like for me the people that I want to work with are the ones that you can just feel the passion about sure. their business they they're invested they and they want to work with me um so those are the two things that I look for and that yeah I'm pretty selective with them and Thankfully, I can be because the clients that I've had have just been awesome. That's great. Uh, that makes me really happy. It's because there's nothing, nothing more. There's nothing more demotivating than you're all excited, you're full of piss and vinegar, and you start your new business, and your first client sucks, and it's yeah. like, yeah, this is not what I want to do for my life. Even though it probably is what you're meant to be doing. Like it's yeah. just instant demotivation. <laughs> it's a struggle as well when you're first starting out as well because. I didn't know what my design style was because I came from that corporate job where I'd worked mm -hmm. there for four years. I actually didn't know who I was as a designer or what my design style was. So that first year was actually me figuring out what clients I wanted to work with, what designs I wanted to design and the style I wanted to actually use. Um, so I had to work with a lot of businesses that were quite corporate-y because that's what I knew and that's what I thought I was good at. But it turned out that's the thing I hated the most. I wanted mm -hmm. to be working with the creative clients, the ones that were passionate 
the ones that wanted this bubbly, colourful, really playful style, because that's the one that I always gravitated towards. When I'd get a brief from a client and they'd include like images or a Pinterest board and it was this this like colourful, just incredible board I would just be filled with so much excitement inside (laughs) whereas when I'd get an inquiry that maybe was something a little bit more minimal or corporate it just I could just tell that that was the type of clients that I didn't want to work with so Mm -hmm. I think for anyone listening if you're in the same position and you're kind of struggling to know what design style to go for go for the thing that just lights you up inside because that's where you're going to get the most enjoyment out of and it's also where you're going to find it easy to design and stay consistent with i love it well i think that's i think that's absolutely fantastic advice um the last thing i want to ask you about because i'd be remiss to not ask someone who's actually in the industry about this yeah obviously the buzzword of 2023 has been ai And I have opinions on it. I've expressed them multiple, multiple times. But I'm curious to know what your opinion is, because there are a lot of people who, rightly or wrongly, are scared that AI is going to put people like us out of business. And I'm, I'm genuinely curious what you think as far as how have you dabbled with it have you used it in any fashion do you are you scared that it's going to take over or do you think it's probably going to i mean i my opinion and just tell you what i think and you're probably going to i have a feeling you're going to be in line with me but i see it as a tool it's just another tool that we have available to us that's going to maybe save us some time doing stuff but i don't think it's ever going to replace a human's touch i think the people that are going to use ai instead of humans were never going to use a human to begin with so it's probably a wash one way or the other But I'm curious to know what you think as far as what does AI mean for graphic design and the future of graphic design? I completely agree with you. I think the designers that are scared to embrace AI are the ones that are honestly going to get left behind. Because like you said, it's an incredible tool. Just like our computers, our laptops, Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Photoshop, they're all tools that help us design. They're Mm -hmm. all tools that help our process. That's exactly what AI is. And if you're scared of it, like I said, you're going to get left behind. You have to, like with trends and the new things that come in, you have to keep on top of it because that's how you're going to keep your job. That's how you're going to stay secure because you're on top of the new things that are coming out. You're embracing it. You're going along with it. You're going along with the flow. And yeah, I feel it's not going to take over. In my opinion, I think the ones that I see embracing it online are the ones that are on top of their game. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I completely agree. I, I always use the comparison and I think it's the most apt comparison when Microsoft Excel and Lotus 1, 2, 3 before it really started taking over, everybody said that was going to replace accountants, but it yeah. didn't. What ended up happening is accountants started using it because yeah. it made their job easier. Like you didn't lose accountants because of Excel. Excel made accountants jobs easier. <laughs> yeah, so. Like you said, it, it's a tool that helps. It makes things so much easier. It speeds up the process. Like mm-hmm. ChatGPT is something that we use pretty much on the daily just with helping with just these tiny tasks that would take probably an hour but now they take me 10 minutes because it's Mm -hmm. done for me but I'm not using it for my full job I'm using it to enhance it and actually speed the process up 
I use it. I've found myself using ChatGPT and, you know, when I need information that's more current than what yeah. ChatGPT can, I use Google Bard because Google Bard is kind of real time. And Microsoft's um, Bing Chat, the new thing that they introduced that's built into Microsoft Edge. I use all of them regularly, not because I don't want to do the work, but because, well, I'll give you a perfect example. I just did over the weekend, I did on the radio station, I did a power hour. And for the power hour, I needed to do a lot of research. And yeah, I could very well sit there and Google and pull up lists and do research, copy and paste into Milanote where I do all my thinking, or I can go into chat GPT with a concept and chat with a bot that I can develop the concept with over, you know, 20, 30 messages, but those messages get more and more meaty as the time goes on. And I end up with basically guardrails for my whole show designed by me with the assistance of the research of a bot who's just going out on the internet and pulling information for me. And that's the kind of stuff that I feel like it's irreplaceable. It's, it's like, I never want to be without that again. Like it's not, and not because I can't function without, it. of course we can, we could all function without it. I don't want to function without it. No. It just makes things so much easier. It, it, speeds, it speeds everything up. Like for example, if we're writing a YouTube script and we need to find a simile or something within our storytelling, we can just quickly, instead of spending like half an hour trying to think of something up, go on to chat GPT, put in a part of the script and say, can you come up with a simile or a metaphor for this part? And then bam, instant. And it's like, wow, like you've just saved me half an hour and time is money people. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we, we have, I'm, I'm the admin on a couple of different Facebook groups. um, And one of them, the rules are very, I mean, they're the rules of the group, right? They're not meant to be engaging, interesting, funny, clever, whatever. They're just the rules of the group. And they are what they are. And here they are in a list and follow them where you get kicked out. And we had a little spate of rule breaking in the group. Mm-hmm. And we were in an admin chat, the three of us. And I was like, I was like, I think I'm going to write a post about this. Um, and I wanted to make it less like, listen, pay attention or we're going to start cracking the whip. So I literally took the rules. I pasted them into chat GPT. I said, I'm an admin of a face. I literally wrote this. I'm an admin of a Facebook group. These are the rules for the group. Can you rewrite these in a funny, less confrontational, more informal way? And it rewrote the rules in such a nice way that when I posted them, the guy who admins the group copied them and pasted them as the new rules. And I'm like, I could have rewritten them. Yeah. But why would I not give a robot that job? Like that's an easy job to give a robot. I want to do creative stuff. I want to make stuff. I want to make cool stuff in my craft room. I want to design awesome things. I don't want to be rewriting rules. Nobody should be spending their time doing this kind of stuff. Let the robots do it. Exactly. I think as well with AI, it's, I know some people struggle with it or like to get the hang of it, but the main thing that's really important is you as the teacher. So making sure you're, like you said, I'm a um, the owner of a Facebook group. It's actually mm-hmm. giving them instructions of how to use it. So like, I yeah, I think that's like really important. I totally agree. I think, I think people, I think people that are scared of it are only going to be able to avoid it for so long before. I would rather use something while it's not something I'm forced to use so I can get comfortable with it 
Because when you're dragged into it, you're never going to enjoy it. And you're probably never going to get the full benefit of it. The thing that really annoys me is people who haven't even tried it are mm-hmm. moaning about it. And it's like, yeah. give it a go and let it show you what it can do and then give your opinion. But if you haven't even tried it and you're not embracing it, you don't make your opinion because you don't have one. Yeah. And what I also find funny, and it's weird because those same people will be the ones that, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to kill jobs, going to kill this, going to kill that, going to kill this, going to this. And then you do something with AI and it generates a person with three eyes and 17 fingers and they go, see, it's not that smart. It's like, wait, what? You can't have both arguments. You can't tell me it's an idiot and it's going to take over everyone's job. Like you can't, you don't get to do that. No. (laughs) But um yeah no i i i fully agree with you and i had a feeling you were going to agree with me because i think i think it's also an age thing i mean granted you and i are very different as far as age goes but i do think that there's a certain amount of like you know young people get it old people are scared of it and you know i I happen to be an older person with a younger person's like enthusiasm for technology so i kind of like i'm excited about it like i've used it so much like i can't imagine not having it i I realized how beautiful it was. Um, my fiance's cousin had a picture from from Memorial Day. We had a barbecue at her house, and there was someone she was dating in the picture. And she broke up with him right after that weekend. And that picture was all of us, including him. And I literally just went into Photoshop and used oh. generative fill. I lassoed him and said, "Generate." And it not only did it take him out of the picture, which is like mind blowing enough, but it generated the handrail behind him and the back of her car, which was parked behind the handrail. Like it did. It was like, how did you even know the car was there? Like, how did you see the car? And it's so I sent it back to her. I was like, here's a better version of the picture. She goes, oh, my God, that's amazing. How did you get him out of the picture? I'm like, A.I. (laughs) Honestly, that tool blows my mind. It's, it's crazy. Like, I can't remember a time when it wasn't there. Like the way that I used to do stuff was like using the clone tool or like a really long process now takes literally five seconds. And it's insane. Like that is something that speeds up your process instantly. And it actually works. It looks great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell a little secret that people don't know about me and don't yeah. know about this show, but I use AI every week on this podcast. I have a bot. I have an I have an extension installed in Adobe Premiere. Yeah. And the extension does the camera cuts between me and my guest. Love that. Why does it do that? Well, because a one and a half hour episode used to take me three to four hours to edit. Do you know how long a one and a half hour episode takes me to edit now? Just the edit. Obviously, we're talking just the yeah. cuts between cameras. Go on. It takes four minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I really don't want AI helping me. No, no. <laughs> I really want to spend four hours doing this instead of four minutes. You know, it's the reason that I, you and I can be talking on September 26th and this episode releases September 27th. And I'm not even the least bit worried about it getting done. (laughs) The beauty of AI. It's wonderful. It's it's a brave new world, Abby. It's a brave new world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take a second and thank the people that support this show financially, because without them, this show could not happen. And those people include Best Man Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Scott Orm from Dad It Yourself DIY, Ed, Sla- Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and more, Nick Birchtold of Birchtold Design Build, 
Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Jake Drews of Make With Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork, Christian Neary of Warren Works, who we had a great weekend Saturday night. Christian can sing, you guys. We had a great time at karaoke Saturday. Ken Madden at Mad K Studios, David Wood of DW Wood Builds, Dean Duplantis, Chris Raley from Route 9 Signs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLO Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Brian Arsenault, The Seven Hills Maker, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art, Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking, Ross Cave, Jeremy Spies, Grant Alexander from The Clamp Podcast, Brad Harrison of Brad's Customs, Billy Poulton of Poulton Projects, and Eric from Overall Maker Works. Thank you guys so much for your support of the show. It means the world to me, and it keeps me doing what I do. And I could not do this without you if you can't support the show financially. Believe me, if anyone understands, it's me. So leave a new review, write me, join the Discord. The Discord link is actually in the description of the video, the description of the podcast, and the show notes on wherever you get the podcast. We'd love to chat with you. And there's a, it's a growing and fun Discord community that I'm really, really enjoying. And I'm kind of glad I set it up. So I would love to have you in there chatting with the rest of us. Abby, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And I, 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 I like I said at the beginning, it's kind of like, oh, you get to talk to someone that kind of set your whole career in like a whole different motion. And it's it's awesome to get to chat with you and pick your brain a little bit and realize that the person on camera is the person that I thought the person on camera was. And it's kind of nice when that happens. It's not act. Abby on camera versus Abby in the real world. And it's, it's really yeah. awesome to finally get to chat with you. And I really appreciate you giving me so much of your time today. That's the scary thing with being online is they say, do not meet your celebrities, do they? Because they're never <laughs> the way that they are. But thankfully, we're the same. <laughs> I've, I've, been very, I've been very fortunate. I've had the privilege of meeting many of the people who I watch on YouTube on a regular basis because we're all kind of in the same, like the maker community, the creative community. I have met a lot. And I genuinely find that in at least in the creative community, it's rare to meet someone who's nothing like they are. Yeah. And it's, it's nice when you meet the people who influenced you and those people are exactly as you hoped they would be. And they're nice enough to actually come on your podcast, which is <laughs> even better. Um, for those, for those that are new to the world of Abby Connick, where can people find you online and where can people find your stuff? And how can they find out about that amazing pencil course and whatever top secret course you're working on next? So I, we're on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. That's our three main things. Just search It's Abby Connick. Um, and then our website is abbyconnick.com. And then you'll find the resources. We've got some free templates. We've got paid templates. And then we've got the pencil tool course on there as well. Excellent. And of course, all of Abby's links will be in the show notes as they always are because that is the currency of podcasts. They come on, we let them plug. <laughs> Abby, <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much for coming on and um, I'm looking forward to seeing whatever's next and I'm definitely going to purchase whatever the next course is. I'm thank all about it much. and I'm looking forward to it. That's going to do it for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. However you consume the show, I appreciate it because like I always say, I couldn't do this if there was nobody listening. It's like a tree falling in the forest. Um, I will be back again next week. I'm pretty sure I have a guest figured out. Um, if anything, I'm going to be recording it hopefully this week. Um, and it should be a really cool one. If not, 
It'll be just me, but one way or the other, there will be a show next week, and I'll talk to you then. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be right back.